The following audio is from Potomac Heights Baptist Church, located in Indian Head, Maryland. More information about Potomac Heights Baptist Church is available at www.phbc.com. Potomac Heights Baptist Church exists to glorify God and to make Christ known to the ends of the world by helping one another become more like Jesus. It is our hope that you will prayerfully listen to this sermon audio. Do y'all like infomercials? No. I love them. So we don't have cable, so we don't get to watch them that much. But if we're somewhere where there is cable, I love when they come on. Because there's always some like crazy, energetic huckster that makes me look dull. Uh, just trying his hardest to convince you to buy some piece of garbage that is guaranteed to change your life. So you've got the, the Snuggie, the, the George Foreman Grill, the Ped Egg, the Sham Wow. We could keep going. But all guaranteed to be the greatest thing you have ever bought. My favorite part of any infomercial is always the end, because they'll give you the price. That's never it. But wait, there's more. Lower price, free shipping. They'll throw in a second one for extra shipping and handling, and then every one of them ends with their 100% satisfaction guarantee. Exactly. Um, Which, I always wonder what that means. Like, satisfaction, like, for how long, in, in what way, and how far does that guarantee extend? Because if we're being honest, satisfaction is what we're all after, right? We, we, we want to be satisfied at home, at our work, with our health and our purchases, all of it. We want to live a satisfied life. And so we are all constantly seeking sources of satisfaction. You know, we've all stayed at hotels or eaten at restaurants that were decidedly not to our satisfaction. But, but even those things that we've experienced that have brought satisfaction, that have satisfied us, it, it's, it's never been a lasting satisfaction. You know, as much as I love Marie's, and I love me some Marie's, like, I don't want to eat there every day. And while I like my car, it, it's got a fair share of issues. So where are we to turn if we want deep lasting satisfaction. It's not to our jobs, not even to our families, and it's certainly not infomercials. No, the the only source of enduring, lasting satisfaction is God. And that's the subject of our text today. So go ahead and open up to Psalm 63 with me. If you have a Bible, uh, if you don't have a Bible, we got a whole cart full of red ones, Um, but we'll be in Psalm 63, where David writes about how his soul is satisfied in God alone. And he writes this psalm, that little introduction tells us, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now, this was not a camping trip. This was not his 4th of July vacation. This was most likely when he was on the run from his son Absalom. You see, in 2 Samuel 11, David commits grievous sin against God. And then in chapter 12, Nathan the prophet confronts him and tells him that because of that sin, the sword will never depart from your house. So then we fast forward a few chapters to 2 Samuel 15, and David's son Absalom has declared himself king of Israel. And a lot of people actually get on board with that. So so many so that King David has to flee Jerusalem under cover of night and go into hiding in the wilderness. So he's in dire straits. 
It's under these dire straits that he writes our psalm, where he affirms that God is the sole source of his satisfaction and ours. So if you'll join me in prayer again, we will then turn our attention to the word. Father, thank you for blessing us with scripture, for speaking to us, for revealing yourself to us, and for giving us the opportunity now to focus on what you have to say to us. Lord, move me out of the way and speak directly to everyone here that we might leave this time with a better understanding of who you are and lives that are more shaped into the image and likeness of Jesus than when we got here. Father, we love you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. So here's the main point I want us to take away this morning. It's on the screens that just like David, our souls can only be satisfied in God. Now, before we dive in, I want to take a second to talk about that word soul. Um, it's incredibly important, not only for our passage, but for Scripture in general. And especially in the Old Testament, soul refers to your you-ness. It's not your body, but neither is it simply or merely the, the spiritual component. No, it's, it's you. It's your being. It's your life. You are your soul. That's why verse 9, it says... Those who seek to destroy my life, but that life is the same Hebrew word that's elsewhere translated soul. So, so for us, for our purposes, we're going to treat soul as the core of our being, as who we are. And so if we want to be foundationally satisfied in our souls, we must, like David, turn to God. Four times in this psalm, he refers to his soul. And so we will use those references to break down our time together, looking at four different ways that our souls should approach God in order to be satisfied in him. So let's begin back in verses one to four to see how we should seek soul satisfaction in God first. May our souls thirst for God. Read verse one with me. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I love how he begins this song. Oh God, you are my God. That's the foundation for everything else in this psalm. He's calling out to God, the all-powerful, all-knowing, glorious, great king of the universe. But he's not just calling out to God, he's calling out to my God. 
David has a relationship with God, and he is secure in it. Yes, he sinned, and yes, he's in the wilderness, but God is still his God, and David knows it. Do you? When times are tough, when you have sinned and fallen short of his glory, do you still know that he is your God? Or do those things start to creep in and create space to make you doubt if he really still is your God? For all who are in Christ, no matter what, he is your God. And so for David, it's, it's because God is still his God that he earnestly seeks him. His soul thirsts, his flesh faints, just as it does in the wilderness that surrounds him for God. And so I want to focus on that thirst language uh, because it's striking. I mean, if you think about it, so thirst... Thirst is a natural response to a lack. You don't decide to thirst. No one wakes up, I'm going to be thirsty today. You just do when your body needs water. And and that thirst can grow to a comprehensive response. It might start with a tickle in the throat and then a bit of dry mouth, but then you, you start feeling it in your stomach and then pretty soon all over. And before long, if you wait to quench that thirst, it can become all consuming. So David is going to use that idea as a parallel for our relationship with God. He's, he's telling us that our souls need God like our bodies need water. If we don't have enough of God, we should feel it, like how you your throat would feel in the middle of a desert. My goodness, the heat we've had this past week, you walk outside for two minutes and you start to feel that. Just imagine how David was feeling on the run in the middle of the Middle Eastern wilderness. David's saying that the only way to satisfy the thirst of his soul is with God himself. Nothing else will do. So here's two questions for you. Do you recognize this need, this thirst in yourself? And then do you seek God alone to satisfy it? Do you regularly, daily, spend time in his word, in prayer with his people? Not because you have to or to check a box or because that's what Christians should do. Do you do that because doing so quenches your thirst for God? David thirsted for him. And in his reflection on the only one who could quench his thirst, he remembered his time in the sanctuary. Verse 2. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Now, this is before his time in the wilderness. David, is he was freely able to worship God in the tabernacle where he experienced God's power and his glory. And so what he's doing is he's recalling God's past faithfulness, how in the corporate worship of the people of God, in the house of God, God revealed himself to David, which he still does today. I mean, goodness, if if you've been here any length of time, you know the priority that we place on gathering together, on being present for the worship of God. We do this not simply because Scripture commands it, which it does, but we do so because this time, this fellowship, this worship is essential to your soul, to my soul, and to our relationship with God. David recognized this, and so he reflects on that time of corporate worship he got to experience of God. Now, lest we think that David's thirst for God is simply because of things from the past, David's going to shift, verse 3, to the present. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. 
So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hand. And so his worship of God, while certainly connected to the corporate gathering, isn't limited to it. And even in the wilderness, he will praise God with his lips. He will bless him. He will lift up his hands in his name. Why? What's the, what's the reason he gives for this worship? Because your steadfast love is better than life. God's steadfast love, his merciful faithfulness, his loving kindness is better than life. Now we talked about how your soul is your you-ness. It's what makes you you. Uh, in, in many ways, God's steadfast love is his godness. It's, it's what makes him him. God's steadfast love is his defining quality, his most central characteristic. And David says it's better than life, which is to say God himself is better than life. Being pushed out of his comfort, of his palace, into the desert, it it focused David's eyes on what was most important. And how often does God do that same thing today? It's, It's so easy forget what is of most importance when, when things are going well. You know, we, we might not deny that God's love is good or that he himself is good, but, you know, when things are all going our way, doesn't it make it that much harder to really believe that he is better than life? We get comfortable. We get complacent. We don't feel our need. We think through the Lord's Prayer and give us this day our daily bread. Well, I, my fridge is full. My pantry is stocked. I got money in the bank. It, but God in his steadfast love, in his kindness, gives us deserts of our own to show us the fleeting nature of this world and the things of it and draws us back to himself. Just just think about how often this happens in Scripture. Joseph, sold into slavery, thrown into prison, drawing him back to God. Ruth, lost her husband, leaves her homeland, her country, knows no one. God uses her there. Jonah, three days, three nights in the belly of the fish before God recommissions him to go to Nineveh. Paul, knocked down, blinded, stoned, shipwrecked. God regularly uses the deserts of life to draw us back to him, to focus our eyes on that which is most important. So may we learn, like David, to use the deserts of life to remind us of our need for God, to draw our souls into thirsting for him, and then to respond to him in praise as David did here. May we, too, lift up our hands and our voices to the God who was with David and who will be with us in all of our deserts. I want to take a second here and and consider that perhaps you may be wondering if God will really be with you in your deserts. Perhaps the desert that you've been walking through makes the Sahara seem like a sandbox. I don't pretend to know what you're going through, what your story is, but I can guarantee you that God will be with you in that desert, just like he was David. You see, while while David was driven out of the city into the desert because of his sins, God did not forsake him. But there was another who was driven out of that same city into the wilderness, not because of his sins, but because of our sins. God did forsake him. Jesus Christ was crucified, was killed, driven out because of our sins. He was stricken, smitten, and afflicted. He was forsaken by God that we might never be forsaken. He stood in our place 
took the penalty of our sin that we might be free, that we might have access to the God for whom our souls thirst. So if you are in the middle of a desert today, God has proven himself faithful to be near to you. So would you call out to him? Would you look upon him and praise him and bless him as long as you live? He alone can satisfy our souls. So may our souls thirst for God. Next section, number two, may our souls savor God. Look at verse five with me, if you would. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. So here, David's going to shift his focus from drink to food, and specifically to a feast. And he's saying that his soul will be satisfied like how your stomach is satisfied after Thanksgiving dinner. One of the things I love about the psalm is it just so blows up the idea that serving God, following after Jesus, is just about cold rule following. Oh, to be a Christian, you just got to do these things and never do those things, and that's all it is. No! Do you see the joy? He mentions it here in verse 5. Again in verse 7, he compares God to a feast of fat and rich food. So this is no keto wafer with some leafy greens and a multivitamin. No, this is a ribeye steak with bacon-wrapped shrimp, freshly baked bread with golden butter and fudgy brownies with vanilla bean ice cream. Like, I want you to feel it because that's what David is doing. Chick-fil-A as far as the eye can see. David is savoring God. His soul is delighting in him so much that it's spilling out into his mouth and his lips in songs of joyful praise to the glorious God who created said bacon and ice cream. And now I'm hungry, so we've got to deal with that. But this same God delights us, or sorry, invites us to delight in him as much as David is here. Which, remember, he's in the middle of the desert. He's in fear for his life. His son has usurped him for the throne. He's got mercenaries out trying to find him. And yet David, his soul, savors God so much that he can delight in him even in the wilderness. And then, verse 6, he's going to add to that savoring. He's going to specify when he savors God. Look at verse 6. So, verse 5, my soul will be satisfied when, verse 6, I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. So not only does he savor God in the middle of the wilderness, he savors God in the middle of the night, in the middle of the wilderness. The accommodations of the Judean wilderness were not exactly five star. So when David turns over on whatever rock he was sleeping on or wakes up at three in the morning, his mind turns to God. Oh, oh that ours would do the same. So we've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old in the house, so I'm not that far removed from the sleepless nights of infancy. In fact, in that season, I actually mapped out a little route around the house that was a two-minute loop. And so as I'm rocking this baby at Lord knows what hour of the night, I was like, okay, if I do this five times, that's ten minutes that I can try again to like become a bomb technician and like lay this thing down without the whole world. It never worked. It was a disaster. But in those sleepless nights, I found my mind wandering to the things that I valued most. And so while there were times of remembering and meditating on God, there were far too many where the cares and concerns of this world took over. So meditating on, thinking on, remembering God is just about the only thing that can redeem a sleepless night. So the next time your kid, or whatever it is that keeps you up at night, keeps you up at night, 
savor God. Remember his faithfulness. Meditate on his word. It will satisfy your soul. So verse 5 gives us the, the what, my soul will be satisfied. And verse 6 gives us the when, in the watches of the night. Verse 7 is going to give us the why. Look at verse 7 with me. For, why? Because you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. So David's soul will be satisfied in the night because God has been his help. Any examples come to mind of when God has helped David? Think, think about it for a second. Perhaps when Saul was after his life? When he was confronted by lions and bears as a shepherd? When he was the smallest and had the least kingly outward appearance of his brothers when Samuel came with the anointing oil? Something to do with Goliath, perhaps? David remembered God's help and joyfully celebrated the refuge of God's wings. That's how you know for sure he was secure. He was able to rest in God's protection joyfully. Remember, still in the wilderness, people still looking to take him out, and yet his mind wasn't racing. God, are you sure these wings will protect me? Are are you really going to help me again? He was singing for joy under God's help. And God has been just as much our help. He has extended his wing of protection even more over us through Jesus, who said in Luke 13, 34, How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? David savored God's protection, his provision, leading to his soul being satisfied in him. And So may our souls savor our good God as well. Verse 8. David speaks of his soul again, where we have our third section. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. So may our souls cling to God as well. That word cling, really interesting to me. Uh, Some other translations might use uh, follow close or follow hard after God. Um, Really neat. It's the same word used back in Genesis 2 to describe marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast. To his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so there's so much packed into this word, but here's at least two things that it communicates uh, intimacy and longevity. So, intimacy, because there's a closeness here. This is not language you would use in a business relationship. Yes, I'm very excited for our business to cling to yours. That's weird. Uh, It's marriage language, after all. And now, for us Christians, that makes perfect sense because what's one of the metaphors scripture uses for our relationship with Jesus? We are the bride of Christ. David's soul clings to God, is, is closely connected to. He's, he's following hard after him. And he's doing this for a long time. There's the longevity component. This sort of clinging is not something that you stop doing after a little while. It, it's ongoing, which he told us in verse 4. I will bless you as long as I live. So This is David's relationship with God, one of intimate, one of enduring, clinging, following hard after. And and a question I had as I was studying this week is is how? How can David have such an intimate, ongoing, vibrant relationship with God, even in the midst of the particular circumstances he's going through right now? And then how can I? How can I, too, cling to God? You know, I, I know that I should. 
And I know that trying to cling to anything else is just going to let me down and leave me disappointed. So how can my soul cling to God? That's where the second half of this verse shows up. So how, how can David do this? Your right hand upholds me. It's not that David was super spiritual, was a first-class follower of God. It's that God himself was upholding him. It's a little bit like if you've ever carried a kid in a pool, and that kid just locked onto you like a spider monkey, just not letting go. But the only reason they can hold onto you is because you're holding them in the first place. If you let go, bloop. (laughs) Um, And this is what the song that we just sang is about. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Now let me tell you this. You would make me the happiest person in this room if you wanted to talk to me about how you can be held fast by God's all-powerful, loving, gracious, merciful, forgiving right hand that your soul might cling to him as well. One final section, verses 9 to 11. May our souls trust in God. Let's read these final verses. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Now remember, David's hiding in the wilderness. People are after his life, after his soul. But he is confident that their efforts will will fail because he fully trusts in God. He knows that God has appointed him king, not Absalom. And so he's going to rejoice in God because he and his plans will win the day over these enemies and their plans. Isn't that a a significant and stark contrast? Rejoicing and exulting in the face of those who would seek to destroy his life? It's all because of his confidence and trust in God. He uses very strong language about his opponents, doesn't he? About his enemies. Those who oppose him, and then, more importantly, who oppose God. He says they will go down into the depths of the earth, be given over to the power of the sword, be a portion for jackals. Strong language. And and I want this language to be a reminder, not only of what awaited those who opposed God then, but of what awaits all those who oppose God today. So if you are not in Christ, if you are not living for him, if you are hostile to God's purposes, to his plan, then this is what awaits you. And I want to be really clear. I want to use these black and white categories because these are the only two options. Either your sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus and he has brought you to new life in him, has given you a new heart that loves and lives for God, or you remain in your sins, heart hardened towards God and his purposes, condemned. There is no other category. This is why we weekly pray for the nations, why we give to fund the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth, why we share Christ with everyone God puts in our lives, and why 
I refuse to accept that just because you are in church on Sunday mornings means that you are safe. There's still this air of cultural Christianity, of going through the motions, that is damning. Either you are in Christ, or this is what awaits. May none of us here go down into the depths of the earth. Now, I want to be equally as clear here that as we seek to share the good news of Jesus, the salvation for all who would believe in him, we remember that their decision is not up to us. We cannot make anyone trust in God. I mean, don't you think that David desperately wanted his son to turn from his sins, to repent and to follow God? When, when Absalom died in Second Samuel 18, word got back to David. Here's, here's how he responded. And the king was moved deeply and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would that I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Even after everything Absalom had done to him, he still loved his son and mourned his death. May we love those God has given us, warning them, telling them clearly and earnestly and honestly what awaits them if they do not turn from their sins and turn to God. Until our dying breath, may we make God's glorious plan of salvation known, trusting him fully along the way. So David thirsted for God, he savored God, he clung to God, and he trusted in God whole while in the wilderness as people sought to destroy his life. And despite those external circumstances, David was able to confidently and joyfully worship God because his soul was satisfied in God alone. How quickly would he have lost heart had his soul sought satisfaction in something and in anything else? In his status, his wealth, his job, his house. He was the king after all. Well, all of that was lost in a moment as he fled barefoot from the palace into the harsh wilderness. What if he had sought satisfaction in his relationships, in his spouse, in his children, in his friends? Well, they were either left behind or the source of his sorrows. So, so please hear me when I tell you, nothing else will satisfy your soul apart from God. Everything else will let you down, will leave you wanting more, and will lead you to destruction. So would you turn to God and place your hope, your life in Him? Would you thirst for God instead of the salt water of this world and the things of it? Would you savor God instead of the, the fleeting momentary pleasures of this life? Would you cling to God instead of seeking to cling to anything else? And would you trust in God now and forever? He is the only one worthy of our soul's affection. He is the only one able to provide our soul's satisfaction. And through Jesus Christ, he has made a way for just that. That offer 
of unending, of enduring satisfaction in him is available to you today. I pray you would take it if you've never done so before. If you have, if you are living in light of Christ, and I pray that that would be true every day forever and that you would seek to point others to him as your soul remains satisfied in him alone. I'm not here to talk. Don't leave today without finding your soul's satisfaction in God alone. Let's pray. Father, I'm humbled by your word, by the glorious picture of who you are that it paints. You are faithful when I am faithless. You are loving when I am unlovable. And so God, as often as I am tempted to seek my own satisfaction in things that are not you, God, I ask that you would remove them from my sight. That all of us here, that our souls would be drawn to, would thirst for, would yearn for you and you alone because you and you alone satisfy. God, those who have experienced your salvation know this to be true. May those who have not yet experienced that learn it immediately. God, save their souls today. And then use us to advance your gospel to the ends of the earth. God, we need you and we love you. Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon audio from Potomac Heights Baptist Church. Please feel free to make copies of this audio to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Potomac Heights Baptist Church.